I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hey, Ragers! I've missed you all so much. I've been gone for about a week and a half on a road trip across the country, visiting friends and family and making a lot of wonderful, beautiful stops along the way. It was such a long trip. It was Max, Penny, and I, and we drove from California to Utah, Utah to Denver, then Denver to Kansas. And once we got to Kansas, we spent time with both sides of our families. I got to meet a lot more of Max's family. He got to meet a lot more of mine. It was really, really awesome. And we also got to see our wonderful friends, Jeremy and Katie, in Denver. And we have missed them so much since they moved from Los Angeles. And they're just the best people and showed us around. And we had such a wonderful time However, my body does not react well to travel, and I didn't get a good night's sleep the entire time we were gone, and I was having terrible night sweats and didn't bring enough pajamas with me, so that was stressful. And I was also experiencing a lot of back pain due to a lot of the driving and not sleeping well, so on and so forth. And we got home late-ish on Friday night and stayed up for a little while longer. We hit our like third or fourth wind. But when I woke up on Saturday, I could barely move my neck. I couldn't turn my head. My back was killing me. I had a terrible headache and I was exhausted. I spent most of the day in bed and then I had to go pick up Dorothy from Max's parents' place. And 
It was a whole thing. I really, really wanted to get the mini episode recorded yesterday because I did have it pretty much prepared, but my brain wasn't working very well. I was in a lot of pain when I was running errands. I just kept like flubbing over my words. I'm like, this would just not be conducive with a good recording right now. So I'm going to wait one more day. So here is your Sunday night edition of the mini What's in the News episode due to all of that craziness. And I wanted to do a bit of a 180 as best I could from last week's episode because it was very, very short. And it was also very, very heavy and somber. And there were just a few news stories that I saw pop up on my phone that I found more humorous or interesting that weren't so focused on death and the downfall of humanity. And I thought it would be better for us to get a little bit of a palate cleanser and discuss some of these fun things that I saw. I also was really, really staying involved with all of the news regarding what is happening in Israel and Palestine. I will be mentioning a little bit more later on in the episode, but I do want to focus on some more fun stuff. Now, one of my last mornings in Kansas, when I was actually able to sit in front of my computer and get some work done, I was scrolling through just some news articles of the week, and I saw that Millie Bobby Brown had done an interview for the magazine Glamour, where she discussed her very unconventional feminist awakening, and I just found this so silly and funny, so I wanted to share this story with you all. When Millie Bobby Brown was only 13 years old, what seems to be the year after Stranger Things was released on Netflix, she actually created a family-run production company called PCMA, which utilizes to tell women's stories. Apparently, she and her sister Paige scout for books about women and girls to adapt into movies, including another series Millie Bobby Brown was in called Enola Holmes. Millie had also become the youngest person to ever be appointed to UNICEF as a goodwill ambassador at the age of 14. In this role, Millie works to expand access to education and menstrual care to girls around the world. Now she's going to Purdue University online, working toward a degree in human services to use to bolster her work with UNICEF. However, apparently, even through all of this advocacy work toward women and girls, Millie didn't truly identify with the feminist identity until rather recently. Apparently, Miss Millie Bobby Brown didn't realize that she was a feminist until she visited a psychic who told her she was. She then went home and hopped onto the Google machine to look into the movement, asking the Google goddesses, how do I know I'm a feminist? From BuzzFeed News, she then read articles and books about the cause and tells Glamour magazine that at this point, she really grasped the idea of feminism and what it means to me. Ultimately, it is about opportunity. Okay, I don't hate the conclusion that she came to, but girl, what? However, the internet had a heyday with Millie's reaction. Someone online made a meme of the legendary scene from the movie Ghost of Whoopi Goldberg saying to Millie, Millie, you a feminist girl. <laughs> Another Twitter user, I refuse to call it X, said, We need to hear from the psychic that informed Millie Bobby Brown that she was, in fact, a feminist. So, of course, when asked about the theme of her new movie, Damsel, the answer from Millie was, of course, feminism. <laughs> and I, it's interesting that her response to what the feminist movement was and is, is opportunity, is interesting to me because at first it seemed like a very shallow 
response and maybe not the most inclusive response, but if I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt, I think that feminism is a lot about opportunity because it should be about inclusivity and ensuring that all people are receiving the appropriate amount of opportunity that they deserve in their lives, you know? The cover of the Glamour magazine shows Millie with the headline reading, Women of the Year. To me, it seems a couple months too soon to be naming such women, but you do you, Glamour. In the start of the article, she says to a reporter, I'm somebody who wakes up, drinks a kombucha, pets my donkey, you know? Celebrities, they're just like us. So it doesn't surprise me that someone like Millie Bobby Brown, who is a 19-year-old woman married to Jean Bon Jovi's son, would have quite an interesting route to feminism. However you get there, great. Make sure you use your powers for good and not evil, Millie Bobby Brown. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, the next bit of news that I was seeing popping up all over my Instagram feed was SAG-AFTRA's guidelines for strikers during Halloween. The Writers Guild of America strike finally came to a close on September 27th after four months and 25 days on the picket line. The Screen Actors Guild, or SAG, joined in on the striking on July 14th, 2023, and it's still ongoing. I think I touched on the basis of the strikes briefly in past mini-episodes, but I'm sure I haven't devoted quite enough time to it, so here's a quick rundown. The WGA went on strike over a labor dispute with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or AMPTP, regarding a writer's residuals from streaming services. The WGA claims that AMPTP's share of the residuals has cut much of the writer's average incomes compared to a decade ago with cable and regular television. 
Streaming services just don't pay their talent the same way, and the residuals just don't add up the same. An actor who was on a NBC sitcom 10, 15 years ago was making a lot more money than an actor who is working on a Netflix show. AI was also a point of contention, and writers believe, as do I, that AI should only be used as a tool to help research or facilitate script ideas and not as a tool to replace them. This is also very true for actors. When I was in film school for acting in particular, I had a computer teacher tell my class that we wouldn't have jobs in 20 years because computers will generate actors' performances. Way to lift our spirits. (laughs) Then, shortly after leaving school, while I was trying to make a living doing something in the industry I loved, I worked as an extra, and on set, we would hear from crew members all the time how especially background actors wouldn't be needed in the future because they are so easily created on computers. Even now, oftentimes, a shot of a group of people will be multiplied over and over and over again to make it look like a lot more people are in one location. So it isn't so far-fetched to think that extras as a whole can be computer-generated, too. SAG-AFTRA even warned producers of scanning background actors' likeness on the cheap to use forever with generative AI in the future. So SAG-AFTRA joined the strike, both in solidarity for the writers, but also to fight for their own wages in a changing industry. One major point of contempt from much of the media is that it seems silly to worry about privileged actors' paychecks. But here's the thing. Most of them aren't so privileged. I'm friends with a lot of actors, and most of them either currently have or have had to work other more ordinary, I'm saying that in air quotes, jobs while also working as an actor. The woman you see as a series regular who might have had a huge part in the climax of a TV show that you love may also be taking orders at a local restaurant. If an actor doesn't work enough, which, by the way, is out of their control since some actors may go on somewhere between 20 to 50 or so auditions before booking a role, they may no longer be eligible for benefits like health care. So like I said, the actors are still on strike. And as Halloween approaches, the Guild has come up with some controversial protesting techniques. This week, SAG-AFTRA issued a statement on its Halloween costume rules for striking actors. The union is prohibiting actors from dressing up as popular characters from struck content, such as Barbie, Oppenheimer, so on and so forth, as well as posting themselves dressed in these costumes on social media. Now, at first, I thought this was kind of a unique and cute protesting idea, but as I got out of my road trip fog and actually got a good night's sleep, I realized how ridiculous and somewhat controlling this seems. The Guild has told its members to, quote, choose costumes inspired by generalized characters and figures such as ghosts, zombies, spiders, etc. They can, however, dress up as characters from non-struck content, so anything that came out before the strike. One of my celebrity crushes, Miss Mandy Moore, took to Instagram to say, Is this a joke? Come on, SAG-AFTRA. This is what's important. We're asking you to negotiate in good faith on our behalf. So many folks across every aspect of this industry have been sacrificing mightily for months. Get back to the table and get a fair deal so everyone can get back to work. Yes! Ryan Reynolds wrote on Twitter, not X, I look forward to screaming scab at my eight-year-old all night. She's not in the union, but she needs to learn. (laughs) Of course, when Deadpool gets involved, the union had to respond. So on Friday, they put out a statement clarifying that the guidelines do not extend to union members' children, and they reiterate that their number one priority remained getting the studios back to... 
back to the negotiating table to get a fair deal for its members. However, most recently on Saturday, talks broke off with studios once again without a deal. I think the whole Halloween costume thing is silly. It sounds more like a social media campaign done for TikTok rather than a real negotiation tactic. In the words of SAG-AFTRA president Melissa Gilbert, we look like a joke. And speaking of jokes and the writer's strike ending, one TV show that Max and I were so excited to watch once again was Saturday Night Live. And we didn't really watch any TV while we were gone. Except for sports, of course. So when we finally got back, the first thing that we were excited to watch, of course, was the new episode of SNL. And the first episode of the new season was hosted by Pete Davidson, who was also a former cast member of the show. For those of you who somehow don't know much about Pete Davidson, he's always in the media dating a new woman, mixed up in some drama, or being made fun of for substance abuse disorder and mental illness. Pete also lost his dad when he was seven years old on 9-11, who worked as a firefighter and died in service. Scott Davidson, his dad, was last seen running up the stairs of the Marriott World Trade Center just before the building collapsed. Also, and I just learned of this doing the research for this episode, while Pete was raised Catholic, he has recently discovered that he is Jewish on his father's side and now identifies himself as an Irish Jew. So when he began the episode talking about Israel and Palestine, I wasn't so confused, but a lot of other people were. He was also horribly affected by terrorism. I think that what he had to say was very powerful and very well said, and much of it resonated with my feelings as well. So I wanted to share parts of this pre-monologue. I know what you're thinking. Who better to comment on it than Pete Davidson? The crowd laughs. But in some ways, I'm a good person to talk about it, because when I was seven years old, my dad was killed in a terrorist attack, so I know something about what it's like. Pete went on to speak of how seeing the images of Israeli and Palestinian children suffering took him back to a, quote, really horrible, horrible place. He said, no one deserves to suffer like that, especially not kids. I feel like Pete said what I've been trying to say just so well. When I mention the innocent people who are affected by this war and genocide, I'm told that I must choose sides and that this isn't a time to have a middle ground. And I think that that is a vast misunderstanding of where I stand. I am very firmly against the right wing government in Israel and their treatment of the destruction of and the genocide of Palestinian people. I am also firmly against Hamas and any other terrorist organization that would kill, rape, kidnap, and torture innocent people. Hamas is anti-Semitic, which I am against. The Israeli government is also racist, which I am also against. I just don't see how actively being against these terrible entities somehow makes me Switzerland in this situation. I think I've made my stances very clear. I'm not complacent, and I am choosing the side of good I know that might not be what you want to hear. It might sound like my head is in the clouds and I'm living in la-la land. But I'm never going to be on the side of a group that is actively harming another group of people. I don't see any winners in this war. I just see the losers being the millions of innocent people who have been affected by what's going on. In an article from HeyAlma.com, the author wrote, Pete reminded us that what's happening isn't just some political thought experiment. Millions of Israelis and Palestinians are suffering right now, including children. 
Every single one of their lives is valuable, and each of them are worthy of peace, empathy, and freedom to live without fear. I couldn't have said it better myself. All right, that's all of the news I have for you this week, especially right now if there's anything in particular that you want me to cover about what's going on in the world as far as the war going on between Israel and Palestine. I will continue to talk about that. If you want me to be going toward more pop culture news like I started the episode, give me some ideas for that. Whatever you need, the best way that I can support all of you is what I want to do. And I also just wanted to remind you all of something that Keegan and I have been telling you since day one. Don't call me out. Call me in. If there's ever anything that I have said or posted about that has upset you or that you feel like I need to be better educated on, please come to me with kindness and with empathy because I am truly here always doing my best. I'm always doing my best to learn more. I'm always doing my best to be as respectful and appropriate as I can be on this podcast while still expressing my own personal opinions. Because as I say at the top of all of these episodes, this show is based on a personal feminist perspective. I do not expect everyone to hold the same beliefs as me or to think the exact same things as me because that would make the world incredibly boring and that wouldn't help me grow either. But I do encourage everyone to come to each other with kindness, to not be attacking each other on social media. I just don't think that it accomplishes anything. And what the world needs now is love, sweet love. (laughs) I know that I always need to do something to get my mind off of a lot of the terrible things that are going on. And my newest obsession is the podcast Red Handed. I'm sure all of you are like, Madigan, are you living under a rock? They've been around forever. But I am no longer listening to any of the Obsessed Network stuff because turns out my ex-podcast idol in my mind, Patrick Hines, is kind of a piece of shit. So I am not going to be supporting them anymore. But I had actually heard about Red Handed through that show years ago, and I really, really enjoy it. And somehow listening to two British women talking about fucked up murder is my palate cleanser. That and SNL, of course. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to this very late mini episode. I am going to fill you in on my goals for the week as far as the rest of the angry feminist content goes. I owe you a full episode. I am hopefully going to get a new episode completed by Tuesday. If not, I will re-release an old episode, but I might throw a bonus up at a later date because there are four people that I really, really wanted to cover for the Notorious Bitches segment. So either way, you're still going to be getting all of those new episodes. There will be a bonus one thrown up on the main feed somewhere at some time if I do have to rerun an old episode. Secondly, for my patient and supportive Patreon listeners, I have listened to the first half of the book Savage Appetites by Rachel Monroe, and now that I am finally home with my computer set up and I don't feel like absolute death, I'm going to start writing that episode and I'm going to get episode one covering the first half of that book up by the end of this week and then I will be working on an episode covering the second half of the book the following week. I will hopefully be giving more specific date updates on Instagram but like I said I'm doing my best and working as hard as I can here and I am still adjusting to being back home a little bit 
like I said, thank you once again for all of your love and patience and support, especially on Patreon. It truly is so helpful just getting that donation each month from all of you for the show. It has been so unbelievably helpful and I really, really appreciate it. And if you're not a part of Patreon and you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash angry neighborhood feminist. You can join the $5 level, which is the angry feminist book club, which we still have a few more months with. And then the $7 level is the feminist faves level where you get all of the book club content. You also get these episodes ad free. You will usually be getting them early when I don't upload late, of course. And some random bonus shit every once in a while. And also now that I'm home, I am going to be setting up some sort of service for my Mad Gabin with Madigan segment on Patreon, which is going to be sort of like a confessional slash advice column segment for Patreon as well. So you can look forward to that coming very, very soon. Now that I'm home, I'm also working on new episodes for the show Still Learning with India Oxenberg. You can be expecting a new episode from that show on Friday with the amazing Mia Donovan, who is the documentarian who did the movie Dope is Death, which I have discussed on this show before. And I just discussed recently when talking about how one of the people involved in Tupac Shakur's death was arrested finally. I'm going to again implore all of you to go watch that movie. You can get it for free on YouTube through Vice. So I highly recommend it and definitely listen to that episode. If you're someone who, like me, really enjoys documentaries and you're interested in how you go about working with these subjects and getting these films made, and especially with this movie, we talk about how it initially was kind of a question mark as to what type of documentary this was. And people kept telling Mia it was historical. And she's like, no, this is very current racism. And what's going on in this movie is still happening today. And then George Floyd was murdered. And the influx of attention put on racism in America finally gave that movie a place to live. And I think it just came at the most appropriate time. It's a story that I was so unaware of. I would actually really love to get Mia on the show eventually. So listen to the episode, watch the movie, let me know what you think, because I'm super invested in this episode as well. Lastly, if you love the show and you want to give even more support, just take a little bit of time out of your day and go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review with just a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. And you can also rate the show on Spotify. All right, everyone, that's all I have for you today. Oh, I've missed you so much. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hi, my name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And together, we run Buffering, a rewatch adventure, a family of podcasts moving through our favorite 90s genre television. If you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, well, great news for you. Our very first podcast adventure took us through all seven seasons of the series. We covered it spoiler-free, episode by episode. For those of you who want to start the show for the first time, you can find that podcast pretty easily. It's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Inside that podcast, you'll also find an original song that pairs with each glorious episode of Buffy and original character jingles for so many of our Buffy favorites. 
buffering has been praised in places like Time, Esquire, Paste Magazine, and the New York Times. And we've chatted with dozens of cast members, writers, directors, and fans along the way. Come hang out and rewatch some of your favorite television with us and a wonderful community of listeners. Learn more at BufferingCast.com or find us on socials at BufferingCast.